And, uh, and we, we know that as believers, Paul makes it very clear as well, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. And, and so James, though, though there are some scholars out there that like to throw James out altogether and say, eh, it doesn't really line up with the rest of Scripture, I hope as we've walked through this book that it's been very clear that James not only fits very well within the context of all of Scripture, but, but James, there's a very pertinent message in word for us, even in our culture today, how we should be living as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ in a world where we, though maybe not at, at extreme levels, there, there is some form of, of oppression and some form of persecution that believers um, are experiencing. And so what James is, is trying to challenge this, his audience and, and, and the people that he's writing to, he's trying to encourage them, exhort them to live as followers of Jesus Christ in a world where um, we may not be the majority, where we may not be um, the, the ones that are necessarily in charge, but we are still supposed to live. Remember, our, our citizenship is where it's not here on earth, but our citizenship, it resides in heaven. And so we're supposed to live as, as citizens of heaven while we are here on earth. And so James does a beautiful job, I believe, really laying that out for us and describing as people of influence what that looks like, how we are to live our lives uh, in, in this world. And so I pray and hope uh, that this has been a, a, a challenging series for you in a good way uh, and hopefully has even challenged your walk with Christ. It has mine. I will say even preparing these messages, um, uh, there's, there's a few times it's like, I don't want to really talk about that because that stings. You know, that hurts, but, but, but that's good. Uh, that's good because it's the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit working on us and shaping us uh, to become more like Christ so we can better reflect uh, his image. So we have a few weeks left in the book of James, um, as I've shared with you. And then in November, uh, when we get to November, we're going to do a short series on, on fasting. Um, and, and then when we move into, um, uh, and then when we get into the new year, we'll actually corporately, as we always do, uh, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So the, the, the fasting series will just be designed to help us be prepared uh, to, to engage in that time of corporate prayer and fasting. And then uh, we will uh, uh, we will spend time. Uh, I, I love the Advent season. Uh, how many of you How many of you in here love Christmas? This that's not a rhetorical question. That is a real question. All right. Okay. Good. We've got a lot of people that love Christmas. I love the Advent season. Uh, it's a beautiful time uh, leading up to Christmas, uh, worshiping together and and celebrating not only the birth of Christ. Uh, his first coming, but also celebrating and anticipating his second coming. Uh, and I know um, I won't have to ask this question, but I know there's many of us in this room that are that are really waiting and expecting and anticipating that 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 coming to to maybe happen. Some of us, I know, there's days where it's like, man, I wish he would just come right now. It would make things so much simpler and so much easier. But but the thing about Advent is not only do we celebrate his birth. We have the chance to celebrate uh, and anticipate his second coming. So let's look at James, James chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first six verses. And and this, again, is this is another one of those messages where I I want to ask you um, to to really to really stick with me throughout this. This was a tough one. Um, and you'll see why here in just a moment, because James is direct, um, addressing a very specific group of people um, in, in this particular context. And so, um, but, but I believe if you hear me all the way through, um, you will see the, the application and the implication for us as, as believers. At, at first glance, when you read it, when you read it, 
uh, you might think, ah, oh, that's not that doesn't really apply to me, or maybe this isn't really anything that's going to stir my heart today. But I believe when we get to the very end, uh, you're going to see that we have a a, a beautiful responsibility. Um, to, to leverage the resources that God has given us for the kingdom of God. So let's hear what James has to say. James chapter 5, looking at verse 1. Look here, you rich people. Uh, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields. You have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. And then verse 5, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. And you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. How many are still thankful you came this morning? Amen? Okay, all right. Hopefully the same is true when we get to the very end. But I promise uh, when we work our way, you, you need to stick with me today, but when we work our way through this text, I think you will understand better what James is saying to his audience, but also what James is speaking to us today as believers. And, uh, and I think it will, uh, not only do I think, I, I know it will when we get to the end, it will uh, have serious implications for all of us uh, as Christians as, and as believers. And then even next week when we get into the next part of the text, you will see that as well. Let me just walk through this text and and there is going to be you know some portions of this where I'm going to try to help us understand the context of what James is saying. But first of all, let me do as I always do, because I think we need, to, we need to always remember and recall this letter is being primarily addressed to Jewish Christians. Again, Jewish Christians who have what? Been scattered due to persecution. So they're in a, in a land, in a territory that is unfamiliar to them. They're in a place that, that, is, that is uncomfortable, and, and yet they are still called, even in this uncomfortable territory that they've been, uh, been placed in, because of persecution, they are still called to live not as citizens of this earth, but as citizens of heaven. And the reality is today, some of us in this room, though we may be in our hometown or in a place that we know, the reality is as Christians, there's this little bit of uncomfortable sense that maybe we're feeling or that we're experiencing, especially, and again, we may not experience the persecution that some places or some Christians do, but at some level, there is this this uneasiness that we as believers are experiencing, and yet even even then, even in that context, we as Christians, as believers, we are still called to live not as citizens of this earth, but as citizens of heaven. And so you can see right off the bat that at some level there is, there is a connection that we can feel with this particular audience. He, James, he's addressed in, in this letter, he's addressed the community as a whole, and we looked at that the first several chapters. We've also looked in the last couple of chapters that he's addressed those in the community who, who had specific positions of influence, teachers and leaders and he talked about the use of their tongue uh, and how the tongue has the ability to either edify or to destroy and how we are to use our tongues uh, in, in our speech in ways that build up, not tear down the kingdom of God. And we talked about how all of us in this room, though we may not all be teachers, we may not all be uh, leaders in that sense, the reality is every single one of us in this room, we all have positions of influence, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's uh, at, at home, whether it's just with a, uh, a spouse or uh, with our children and, and even siblings, 
um, at some level, there is a position of influence that God has given us, and we are to use it and leverage it for the kingdom of God. And now we're going to see today that he appears to be addressing the wealthy among them. Um, and, and so at, at first glance, it's like, well, you know, how does he define wealthy, and what does that mean? What does that look like for us? And I will say within this context, there was only a small group of people that were really deemed as being wealthy or rich, and yet there's this group of people that seem to, um, and, and there's, there's disagreement on whether or not the, the, the wealthy were a part of this community or if they were kind of outsiders that were trying to cause some of the persecution. But the reality is he is addressing some in this, in this community. They're going to hear this letter written because keep in mind, first of all, they didn't have you know, chapter breakdowns like we do. When James wrote a letter, he didn't put, all right, this is chapter one, this is chapter two, this is chapter... We did that, or not we, but, but others did that much later. He wrote one letter. Um, if you write a letter to a friend, um, how many of you still write letters in this room? Okay, good, good. There's still some of us that write letters. Um, okay, so if we write letters to a friend or we write an email, whatever it may be, um, a text message doesn't really count because uh, we don't even use full sentences in text messages, all right? So when we write an email, write a letter, the reality is it, within that context is when we write those letters, uh, we, we do so and, and they're meant to be heard in the entire setting. The same was true with James or with Paul when he wrote his letters. They would take the letters to their places, to their location, and, and he would stand up and he would read it, um, and they would hear the entirety of that letter. And so there were some in that community, whether they were the believers or whether they were outsiders, there were some in that community at some level uh, that, that were deemed as being wealthy or rich that were causing some issues within this community of Jewish Christians. Last week, we noted two primary concerns that plagued some among this group. Number one, we talked about how there was a group of people in this community who were trying to dethrone God as being the primary judge. Uh, we talked about that. We talked about as believers, there is a place where, where, where judgment or, or, or discernment is allowed, but the point for Christians or for believers when it comes to, to judging is always, is always for the sake of restoration. Uh, we ought to be people, and I asked this question already, how many are thankful for God's grace? I'm thankful for his grace, and because he's poured his grace upon us, we should be people of grace as well. And for whatever reason, uh, we, we seem to uh, fall short in that category. We're so thankful, and we want God to, to pour out his grace upon us, upon us, upon us, time after time after time again. But if somebody messes up twice, we're like, I'm out of grace. I have no more to give. And so, so we should be people of grace, and so even when that discernment and that judgment happens, not to the point of dethroning God as the primary judge, but we still have a responsibility. Our aim, our desire, our heart should always to seek, should be to seek for the restoration of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we want to gather with them one day. We want to stand around the throne of God and we want to be able to worship uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords with our brother or our sister, our neighbor, our coworker, coworker, our friend, our spouse, our family members. And so we ought to be people of grace who seek to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ. We also talked about last week, um, one of the other concerns was they ignored the sovereignty of God and ignorantly thought they were in control. Uh, they thought they were in control of their life and their business and, and where they were going, when they were going to go to that place, what they were going to do while they were there. They, they neglected the fact and they were ignorant of the fact that God was sovereign, God was in control. Uh, and, and, and I know some of us, I asked this last week, there's some of us in this room and I, I throw myself into that camp. I, I like to kind of control things, do things my way. 
um, be, because I, I have a sense of control and ownership in that, but, but sometimes that, that doesn't work out and that's not what God expects of us. And so we had this group, uh, they were ignorant of his sovereignty, but today we're going to unpack James's message to the wealthy and the group who failed to use, listen to this, they failed to use their wealth for God's glory and instead they oppressed the poor among them. That's going to be the key point that I want you to hear. They, they failed to use the wealth or the resources that God had given them, that God had blessed them with. They failed to use it for God's glory. Instead, they used these resources that had been given to them by God above and they used them to oppress the poor among them. Now, this message in James, if you read it, and I won't read it again, but if you were to go back and read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, you're going to hear, and I encourage you just for fun to do this sometime in your car or at home, uh, read it out loud, and you're going to hear that this, this message carries with it kind of a prophetic tone like that of the Old Testament's. Uh, the Old Testament. Look at look at um, uh, in the Old Testament. Look at Joel. Or excuse me, uh, Amos. I picked this one because my son's name is Amos. Um, no bias there, but but I I wanted to show you. You can hear kind of the prophetic tone. Listen to this this passage in Amos four. Listen to me. Uh, you heard that in James. Remember, listen here. Uh, listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands. Bring us another drink. The sovereign Lord has sworn this by his holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. You will be led out through the ruins of the wall. You will be thrown from your fortresses, says the Lord. I only show you that just to see that, that James's message here in James chapter five has that same kind of prophetic tone to it. Uh, James will say, listen here. I have something important to say, and I want you to listen into my words. There's an extra biblical source um, that, that says this and has that same tone to it. Uh, Woe unto you, O rich people, for you have put your trust in your wealth. In the days of your affluence, you committed oppression. You have become ready for death and for the day of darkness and the day of great judgment. So you can see it has kind of that, that prophetic sense to it where he's trying to grab their attention. And if you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, you will see some of that same language. Listen here, uh, where, where God would try to grab the attention of the listener. Next week, James will actually, he's going to instruct the Jewish Christians on how to respond to the oppression of the rich among them. So today, we're going to talk about the warning that, that James gives to the wealthy in this community. But next week, we're going to look at how does James then challenge or exhort or encourage the believers, the Jewish Christians in this community, how does he challenge them to live um, underneath this oppression? What should our response be? And we're going to look at that next week. But for today, let's hear James's warning and instruction to those who do the oppressing. So I want you to stick with me. How many are still with me this morning? Okay, good. All right. I don't think anybody's asleep yet. So we're good. All right. Number one, the warning for, or the warning to the rich. I want you to hear this warning. This warning begins with a prophetic call to listen. Look, look at, if you have your Bible still open, look at chapter five, verse one. This is how James begins this warning to the wealthy among them. Look here. Look here, listen here, you rich people. Very similar to what James did in chapter four. If your Bibles are open, you will see in chapter four, verse 13, James did the very same thing. He says to this community, he says, look, ye, look here, you who say. 
So this is kind of common for James. He's trying to grab their attention. It's an attention grabber. I, sometimes I do the same maybe while I'm preaching. I might say things like, um, you know, listen here because I want to make sure I have your attention because I have something pertinent or something important to share. So James, James is doing the very same thing in chapter 4, verse 13, chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, he begins with this prophetic call for the people to listen because there's an important word that's going to be shared. This is not a blank, and I want you to hear this. This, this message today or what James is trying to say to his audience is not a blanket message against having or accumulating wealth. That's not what James is saying. He, he doesn't have an issue with the accumulation of wealth. He doesn't have an issue with somebody being rich or being wealthy. But, but what we see here is there are ungodly people within this community that are using their wealth, using their resources that have been given to them by whom? By God. And they're using those resources instead of advancing the kingdom of God, they're using and leveraging those resources to oppress the poor and they're hindering the kingdom work at hand. So I want you to hear, James is not anti-wealth, anti-being rich. He's not anti-somebody accumulating wealth, but what James has an issue with is that those who have wealth, who have resources in this community, instead of using them for kingdom purposes, they are using them to oppress the poor. They're using them uh, to, to instead hinder the kingdom work at hand. James is not against being rich, but he is against using your wealth to oppress the poor in the community. There's a big difference. And so I don't want you to read this. If you just kind of skim through it, it may look like that, that he has something because earlier on in James chapter one and, and two, he also addresses the rich in this community. He's not against being rich or accumulating wealth, but he is against using that wealth to oppress the poor in the community. So how will James's exhortation to the rich apply then to us today? especially if we don't consider ourselves to, to be wealthy. I think all of us in this room probably have a different mindset or, or, or definition of what wealthy looks like. Um, and, and so that might look different for everyone. But how, how will James's word speak to us today? First of all, let me just say this. In comparison to the global scale, uh, all of us in this room are rich, rich of resources and wealth. One, uh, about 10% or just under 10% of the world's population lives in extreme poverty. And extreme proper, uh, poverty is defined as living on $1.90 a day. $1.90 a day. Um, that doesn't even buy you a coffee. That might buy you a coffee at McDonald's or, or somewhere like that. Um, but, but the reality is that, that less, just, just under 10% of the world's population lives in extreme property. Wealth, I want you to hear this, wealth can include, uh, though, though James may be referring just to the financial resources, I want you to understand that it's much broader than that. Wealth can include much more than just financial resources. It also includes uh, knowledge. It also includes uh, our skill set. It also includes the resources that God has given to you, whether it's a gift or, or whatever that may be. The, the, the point is that, that there is a group of people that are utilizing their resources not to advance the mission of the kingdom of God, but they're using the resources that have been given to them by God to hinder the kingdom work and to oppress the poor. That is the concern. That is the issue that James is addressing. We must consider this question. We must consider how we're using our wealth or our resources. We're using it to oppress or degrade others? Are we using it to build ourselves up? Are, are we trying to accumulate wealth and resources, whether it's knowledge or financial resources, so we can say, man, look at what I have, look at what I've done, look at what I've uh, accomplished? Or are we using our wealth and resources to help move forward the spread 
and the advancement of the gospel? I hope we can all answer that very clearly and our answer be yes, I'm using the resources God has given me to move forward, to advance the kingdom of God. These questions must be considered as we hear James's message to the wealthy in this community. He's going to summon them. He's going to summon them to hear, to listen, to listen. It's a prophetic word, listen, hear. And though he doesn't call for them to repent, indirectly there is this call for repentance. Listen here, and he, he really hammers them. He, he describes, uh, here in just a moment, we're going to look that he describes their lifestyle, and, and he's going to hammer this group of rich or wealthy people. And there is indirectly a call for them to repent. And he will summon them. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the t- terrible troubles ahead of you. So he is, he is really trying to grab their attention. How would you like that if, if you were to stand and be, in among a, be among a community? And that was the very first thing maybe that you heard. Chapter 5, verse 1. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. I think for some of them, that might scare them into repentance. If, if there is a word spoken over you that says, be warned or, or be careful because there's trouble or misery that's coming, then there is this sense of indirectly, he's calling them to repent. And we see that in James chapter 5, verse 1. So now let's, let's look. That, that's the warning that he gives to the rich people. But now listen to this. Let's look at the lifestyle of the wealthy oppressors. Look at James chapter five. It'll also be up on the screen. Verses two through three, verses five and six. Your wealth is rotting away. This is how he describes the group. And your fine clothes and moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver, they're corroded. They're very, the very wealth you were counting on, it will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Um, what a, uh, what a um, way to describe this, this community of wealthy and rich people. And, and here's what I want you to understand. Let me just kind of summarize uh, this description, this community. Number one, they are pursuing, listen, they are pursuing that which is impermanent. Look at Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. The issue that James had with this community and the reality is the issue that James has with any person who calls himself a follower of Christ is, is we cannot and we must not pursue those things that are impermanent. We, may, we, we must not make the pursuit of things that are impermanent our primary pursuit in life. Um, we, we see this in the text. They're pursuing riches. What's happening to the riches? They're rotting away. They're pursuing uh, fine clothing, and they want to be decked out. If you read in earlier on in, in James, in the letter of James, he talks about the, the rich that come in, and they're fine clothing, and they're dressed really well, and, and he says they're like moth-eaten rags. And then he speaks of those who are pursuing money, gold and silver. And and look what happens to that. It rusts away. It corrodes. It's impermanent. There is a a common Jewish monotheistic critique of idols. And it was that they quickly wasted 
away. They didn't last. Uh, they would form an idol, but after so long, that idol would corrode or it would rust away. It would not last for very long. And, and so the, the, the idea is that you have all these people who are worshiping these things that are rotting away, that are rusting away. They're impermanent. They have, they have no permanence about them. Um, one writer said this, they deck their gods out with garments like human beings. They, these gods of silver and gold and wood that cannot save themselves from rust and corrosion. They were pursuing that which is permanent. Their pursuit of that which is impermanent or temporary goes against, and this is key, it goes against the commands of Jesus. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, 6 verses 19 through 21? Again, the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Christ says to his disciples, those who are listening in. He's getting ready to send them out. They're going to go on mission. They're going to they're go and they're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I don't have it up here, but if you fast forward just a few verses, Matthew 6, verse 33, what does Jesus then say? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seek first, Jesus says. Seek first. And and it doesn't mean that, that the pursuit of these other things is necessarily bad, but the thing with this community is that their primary pursuit was for that which was impermanent. So Jesus is saying to us, Jesus, James is saying to this community, saying to us today that our pursuit should not be those things that are impermanent, but our primary desire, primary pursuit should be to seek first the kingdom of God and his, not our own, and his righteousness. They, uh, the wealthy oppressors, they were not kingdom seekers. They were earthly seekers. God is calling all of us in this room today to be not earthly seekers, but he wants and he desires of us to be kingdom seekers. That our primary aim and our passion is to, is to please him and to do his will, to do the will of the Father. That is, as Jesus says even to uh, some of his disciples, that is, that is my food, to do the will of my Father in heaven, their pursuit of impermanent and earthly treasures, which interesting is will actually testify against them. Look at verse three. It says your gold and silver, they're corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. What a what a graphic image uh, that James uses to describe the very things that they are pursuing will actually be a testimony or a witness against them. The corrosion and rust of these earthly treasures will be a witness or testimony of their idolatry, that they were committed to things that were impermanent, things that would not last. And James uses graphic language. He says that it will eat away your flesh like fire. Again, I I believe James is trying to evoke a response, whether it be repentance. Uh, He even speaks of the day of judgment that speaks of the eternal judgment that would come. But listen this, their primary concern The primary concern here is the wealthy were holding these possessions in abundance instead of using them compassionately for those in need. 
How do we know this? If you go all the way back to James chapter 1, pure and undefiled religion is this, verse 27, is to care for the orphan and the widow. And you look at James and his message, we are to be people of living faith, uh, people that aren't supposed to oppress the poor, but to have compassion for those that maybe, uh, maybe aren't even a part of the kingdom of God. And so instead, they're taking their possessions and they're holding them on in abundance. They're trying to collect as much as they can. And instead of advancing the kingdom of God, they're hindering the kingdom work and they're not using them to com- uh, for compassionately helping others in need. They were full of luxury. We read in verses five through six, they were living in luxury. They were indulging themselves. Uh, it says they had become fattened. Uh, again, what, what language James uses to describe this community. They were full of violence. They abused their power and used it against the powerless. They were oppressing the poor, those who had very little. I want you to hear this note. Riches, riches are not meant to indulge oneself promote personal gain, or oppress those who have less. Instead, they should be used to strengthen others and advance God's kingdom purposes. We should use whatever resources that God has given you, God has given me, whether it's financial, whether it's a gift, whether it's a passion, whether it's whatever resources that, that God has given to us, we are to use it not for personal gain, not, not to build ourselves up, not to oppress others, not to say, look, I'm more powerful than you. We are to use and leverage those resources for the kingdom of God and, and for his purposes to strengthen others and to advance his kingdoms. And it's very simple. I, I put in parentheses, if we want to get just really at the core of what we're called to do as believers, what are the two greatest commandments? We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And how do we do that? One of the ways that we do that is we leverage those resources that God has given us for his kingdom, for his glory, to serve others and to build the kingdom of God. Then we see, I I jumped over verse four and I did that intentionally because then we see that there is this kind of divine, in the middle of James's message, and I'm almost done here this morning, there's this divine revelation. Look at verse four, James chapter five, for listen, hear the cries. So he's describing, I want you to get this picture. He's describing this wealthy community and talking about they're pursuing things that are impermanent in the middle of that before he talks about how they're living in luxury. He says, for listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who's, who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's army. What, what, is, what does James mean? Don't be fooled, basically, what James is saying. God hears the cry of those that you are oppressing. We see that here in James chapter 4. The oppressive behaviors of the wealthy have now entered the ears of God. This is not unfamiliar language to the people of God. All the way back in the Exodus event, Exodus chapter 2, God's people, Israel, they are in bondage. They are slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh, and they've been slaves now for 400 years. And so they're crying out years past, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help in their cry. What did it do? It rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. And so the oppressive behaviors of the wealthy have now entered the ears of God and those being oppressed had worked to earn wages. Those being oppressed, they had worked to earn wages, but their wages had been withheld. 
Uh, we see in Levitic- Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, it says, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. It was part of the, part of the law, part of the commandments that were given, uh, that they were, if they worked, they were to pay their workers. But we see that part of the issue with this community is they were withholding. Part of the oppression that they were experiencing is they were withholding the pay that was due them. God will bring justice, what we see here in verse four. He hears the cry was lifted up to the Lord of heaven's armies. God will bring justice on the oppressors. Recall what James just got done talking about. We talked about last week. Who is the final and ultimate judge? God is the Lord of heaven's armies. James will then move to instruct next week. We will see this. He's going to instruct this Jewish community on how to respond to the oppression that they are encountering by the wealthy that are among them. So this leads me really to the final point. This is where I, I told you I want you to stick with me because uh, we have to work through what James is, is saying to this community, but, but now I want you to understand how does this then apply to you? How does it apply to me? How does it apply to us as a church and as a congregation? How does James' message apply to us in the 21st century? And what we will see here is I, I believe in this text what we see at its very core We see James calling the people of God to be kingdom-minded. How many many want to be kingdom-minded, amen? How many, I I think all of us in this room, I, I said earlier on, we are not citizens here on earth. Our citizenship resides in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I wanna live my life here on earth reflecting the best that I can, the character and the heart of Jesus Christ. I want to live here on earth as a citizen in heaven where my citizenship resides. Guess what? We're just passing through. We're not called, though, to just kind of wait for things to unfold. We're called to be active. We're called to be on mission. We're called to living our life, living our lives reflecting the character of Christ doesn't mean I'm just going to live this nice and clean life and hope everything else works out and wait until Christ returns or until I meet him on my death. That's not how God is called. We are called to be on mission here. We're called to be kingdom-minded people, and that means that we are called to be active and living our faith out. Faith, James says, faith without works is dead. And so there's three very simple things. I'm just gonna give these last three points to you. Um, don't, don't be alarmed. I'm not gonna expound on every, each point. I'm just gonna throw these up on the screen. And I want you to chew on these. I want you to think about these. If you're a note taker, uh, you're gonna wanna jot these down because this is, this is really the core of what it means to be called to be kingdom-minded people. Number one, kingdom-minded people now, I've already made reference to this. Kingdom-minded people leverage their resources, not for personal gain, but for gospel advancement. And, I'm, and this morning, I'm not just talking necessarily, again, about financial resources. I'm just talking about whatever resources that the God of heaven has given you, given me, and given this church. We have a response. If we're going to be kingdom-minded believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we must make sure that we are leveraging those resources in whatever way we can, not for personal gain. Because guess what? Those riches, those resources, they, they don't go with us. They're impermanent. But while we're here on earth, we're going to leverage them so that the gospel will advance and so that people will hear the message of Christ. Their hearts will be changed. And guess what? Then eternity is impacted. 
Yes, our riches are impermanent, but when we use those riches or, or those resources and we leverage them for the kingdom of God, guess what? You will have an impact on the kingdom of God for eternity. And I, I don't have to ask the question. I think I know it. All of us in this room want to make an eternal difference for the kingdom of God. And one of the ways that we are to be kingdom-minded is we are to utilize whatever resources, whatever, whatever, um, uh, whatever God has given us, we're to use it to advance the gospel. Number two, kingdom-minded people don't use earthly resources to boast in their wealth or oppress those who have less. But instead, we use those resources to serve others and to be a blessing. Um, I, I don't really have to comment on that one. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But again, one of the reasons that it, it, when we've been given resources, when we've been given um, opportunities, we are to use those resources to serve one another, uh, to be a blessing. Um, going all the way back to, uh, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abram, I'm going to make you great, I'm going to make your name great, um, God said to Abram, I I I'm going to use you to be a blessing to other nations. I'm not calling you out, Abram. I'm not, I'm not putting you over here and making you my people so you can say, wow, look how privileged we are or look how special we are. I I'm setting you apart, Abram and, and Israel, so that you can be a blessing to others, so that you can recognize you have a responsibility. When we've been given resources, we have a responsibility to steward those resources to serve others to bless others with the end result of advancing the gospel in the kingdom of God. Does that make, make sense? And may, I, I may feel like I'm just repeating myself, but, but I think sometimes we need to hear it 7, 8, 9, 20, 30, 40 times. Uh, I do. Uh, even, even preparing this message, I need to be reminded if I am called to be kingdom-minded and kingdom-minded people, we use our resources to advance the gospel, to serve one another, to bless others. And number three, kingdom-minded people set their mind, their hearts, and their pursuits on that which is eternal. Riches, fine clothes, gold and silver, money, wealth, all of those things are impermanent. They will pass away. We as kingdom people, we need to set our minds on things above, not on things below. As kingdom people, we need to make sure that we set our mind, our heart, and our pursuits on that which is eternal. And we do that, when we do that, I believe that God is going to work not only in us, but I believe that God is going to work through us as individuals, as a church. I, 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 we, we pray every week. We pray for the 1,400 here in Dunkirk that don't have a relationship with Christ. We pray for the 13,000 in Jay County that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I believe that God is, number one, I believe that God is able to reach every single one of them. Absolutely can. But how is he going to reach them? He's going to use us, the church. If he's going to use us, the church, we need to be kingdom, we need to set our minds, our hearts, our pursuits not on things that are temporal, not on things that will waste away or pass away. We need to set our minds, our heart, and our pursuits on that which is eternal. And guys, I believe as we pray, as we seek the face of God, 
Uh, I, I, I'm really praying, again, I told you this, I'm not just going to pray for 10% of that, I'm not just going to pray for 20 I'm praying for all, because why? Christ died for all. And, and he desires all to come to repentance. And so I don't think we should lessen the bar at any level. I think we should be praying for and setting our minds and our hearts and our pursuits on things that are, are eternal. And when we do that, I, I don't always know how, or, I don't know how, Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplied it other than the fact that he's God. And, and so when we pray, when we believe, when we have obedience, when our faith is living and active, when our minds and our hearts and our pursuits are set, are set on that which is eternal, I truly believe, and I'm not just, not just saying it, but I believe that God is going to do incredible things in you, through you, and I'm praying and believe that he will do the same here in Dunkirk, here in Jay County. Would you stand with me this morning? surface level when you read James chapter 5 without giving it much thought you probably quickly pass over it and how is this even applicable what is you know such graphic language that James is using and very prophetic in nature how does this even apply to me today but what I want to ask you to do just your eyes closed and your heads bowed I'm not going to have you raise your hand or do anything but I just want you to take a moment of just kind of personal reflection for just a minute. Jim Elliott, um, missionary, said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Did you hear that again? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Your eyes closed, your heads bowed. I want to just ask you two questions. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is, I want you to just have a moment now between you and God this morning because this is only something that you and God can deal with. Two questions I want to ask you. And I'm asked, this is a question not just for you, the church. I'm asking myself this this morning as well. Number one, am I using? Am I using my resources, my wealth, my knowledge, my skills, my passions to move forward the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Again, this is personal reflection. I want you to think, and, and, and folks, I want you to even beyond, when we leave here today, I want you to begin to pray about and ask the Holy Spirit to really search you deep Am I truly using the resources that God has given me? Am I stewarding those resources to see the gospel move forward? Number two, am I using my resources to serve God and serve my neighbor? Let me just simplify that question. Do I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do I love my neighbor as myself? Not, I think the appropriate response, the response that James was hoping to evoke from those that he was writing to, the appropriate response would be to ask the Holy Spirit, change your attitude, change your focus, and to give you the strength and the direction to better steward and leverage that which he has given to us 
the sake of the kingdom. I'm going to just pray for us this morning and then we're going to close with this song, Oh, Come to the Altar. Um, As I pray, I want you to just pray with me. Wherever you may fall into one of those questions, maybe you need the Holy Spirit to, to help do a work in your life. Remember, we have access to God. He hears our prayers. He's ready to change our hearts. Let's come with willing hearts, willing minds, willing lives to be obedient to God's word together. So as I pray, I just would ask that you would pray with me this morning. God, we uh, are so grateful for the resources that you have given to us individually as a church. Lord, I'm not just talking about money. Lord, I'm talking about all the resources, the people. the wealth, the knowledge that exists here in this body. Skill sets, the talents, the gifts that are represented here in this body. As well as uh, the financial resources that you've given to us. Thankful for those. Grateful for those. We recognize that it all comes from you. But as citizens, not of this earth, but citizens of heaven, We also recognize this morning that we have a responsibility as people of God to leverage and use those resources, whatever they may be, not to build ourselves up, not to pat ourselves on the back, not to gain more control, gain more power, not to oppress those who have less, but God, we have a responsibility to leverage those resources to move forward to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the 1400 the 13,000 the 2.99 billion that are unreached Lord in our world so that those folks would have an opportunity to hear and respond to the life changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ money and resources won't change them if they have them the only thing that will bring transformation is the good news the gospel the truth of your word so Lord I pray as a church especially that you would just help us to be great stewards of the resources, the people, the gifts, the talents, the well, whatever it is, God, help us to be obedient and faithful stewards of those resources so that we would see the kingdom of God move forward. So that lives would be radically transformed and changed for eternity. So that one day, God, all of us in this room can stand around the throne with our neighbors with our co-workers, with our Reach 3, with the 1,400 and with the 13,000, all lifting our hands, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy Spirit, if we don't line up with that attitude or that mindset, I just ask that you would help us. Ask God that you would direct us and change us so that we would better reflect 
the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just sing this in closing.